arguments of her Christian friends. You know, in her words, they were poorly constructed arguments. Anyway, so it got so bad where her Christian friends just wouldn't even talk to her about faith because she would just cut them down with her razor-sharp wit. Uh, but she found herself at Harvard where she was pursuing the truth. And even though she had questions about the Bible, right, like there's, there's contradictions in the Bible, how can God be good if there's suffering in the world? Um, but one of the things that, that softened her stance, that, that made her more willing to listen to the claims of the Bible about Jesus, was her own darkness. And so here's, here's how she described herself. She says, I was painfully arrogant and prone to fits of rage. I was unforgiving and unwaveringly selfish. I passed sexual boundaries that I promised I wouldn't, and the fact that I failed to adhere to my own standards filled me with deep regret. And yet I could do nothing to right those wrongs. Right. We'll come back to Jordan's story in a bit. But I think what Jordan's story does is it helps us see what is at stake as we ask that question, who is Jesus Christ? Because John's claim in verse 5 is showing us that Jesus really is the only person who can deal with the darkness in the world and in us. Uh, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Right? It's all because of who he is. He is the Word, your Creator, the one who was there at the beginning of all things. But because of who Jesus is, this is what's at stake in the question of who is Jesus. He can overcome the darkness. And it is no small claim. And so what I want to do this morning, we're going to ask a handful of questions. One, what is at stake in the question of Jesus' identity? We're going to look at what it means for Jesus to be the Word. And then what are we to be witnesses of? And so what is at stake? Let's think about that question as you're trying to figure out who Jesus is. Because in verse 5, this is the problem. In this, in this world, there is darkness. Right? And now we're, we're in John's prologue. We're in his introduction. The prologue is the first 18 verses here. Um, it's a beautiful introduction, incredible piece of literature in and of itself, just saying, here is the one that you're about to meet. Right? But just think about darkness. If you live in this world, as we sang, do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Uh, to, to live in this world, to be human, is to face darkness, a creation, a world that goes not well. And if you know yourself, that I go not well. Right? Uh, we use words like gloom. Uh, talking about our depression. We can talk about anguish. Right? This is the language of Isaiah 9. Because life is just really hard. It's dark out there. I can't see light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, there's terror of the unknown. And then as we, we heard Jordan's confession about her, her heart. There's a darkness of every human heart, if they're honest. Uh, there, there, there's darkness of death and grief. And so the, what's at stake as we, as we wrestle with who is Jesus, in verse 5, the, if you were to... Um, just say it a different way. If Jesus is not the light who gives us life, you are alone in the darkness, and darkness is all we have. Right? Because what's at stake is who is able to overcome the darkness of this world. 
Right? Who is able to fix what is broken? I know C.S. Lewis put it well, right? When he was an atheist, he, he objected against God's existence because there is darkness, right? And he, his argument while he was an atheist was, the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But then it struck him as, where in the world did I get the idea of just and just, unjust, just and unjust, there we go, right? Now, someone can't call a, a line crooked unless you have some idea of a straight line. In other words, you can't call something dark unless you have some idea of light. And so if Jesus is not the word, become flesh, our creator, the world is crooked with no hope of being straightened. It's unjust with no one to listen to our cries in the dark. There's nowhere to run with our regrets. Right, and so John, he, he introduces a little bit here in, in the introduction of what this darkness is. Um, so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. But if you look at verses 9 and 10, the true light, Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So here's one kind of darkness you're up against. We're blind to spiritual reality. Right? by nature. It's John's description. Jesus came into the light. He shone brightly in the world, and no one recognized him, even though he is in front of their face. Right? See, part of, part of the problem of being human is we, it's so easy to be blind to what we're actually like and what God is actually like. And there's a pretty well-known sitcom. It's a really funny episode where um, the characters are just having a, an argument and pointing out each other's flaws. And every time somebody went up and said, you always do this, everyone stopped in the room and you would hear a glass shattering. They're like, yeah, you always do this. And the, and the one being pointed at <laughs> had no idea. Right? You, you always correct people. You always chew loudly. You always sing your way through life. You, you always are annoying. <laughs> it was what was happening. Right? And if we can be blind to like, our, our, our annoying little habits, how much more blind are we <laughs> if the Creator comes into this planet and we can't recognize His glory? And my favorite story in John about this is in chapter 9 when, when Jesus is, has healed a blind man. Right? He healed a man who's been blind since birth. It sparks this heated conversation with the Pharisees who arrogant, arrogantly claim to see. And so even when they're interviewing this guy, you know, a miracle has happened. They can't not look down on him. Right? They say, ah, he's, he's blind because he was a terrible human being. And Jesus, he can't be from God. He too is a sinner. He's wicked. And right in front of them is the Son of God, the Word. Someone who made a blind man see. And they're declaring him darkness. It's like they're looking at the sun and saying it is light, or saying it is nighttime and saying, trust me, because I see better than everyone else. <laughs> and so this is part of what's at stake as you wrestle with who Jesus is, is how do you deal 
with the darkness in you. Your pride, your self-righteousness. The Pharisees were completely blind because of their own pride. How do you deal with that? You need a light outside of you to show you who you are. If Jesus is not the word of God, the light of all humanity, who's going to call out self-righteousness? Who's going to call out self-righteousness when the self-righteous are feeling better than the other self-righteous? <laughs> when you can go further in John, I mean, he talks about moral darkness. We love the darkness in John chapter 3 rather than the light because our, our works are evil. Who determines what's right and wrong if you're in the dark? My favorite illustration with this is if we were in the, the deepest, darkest cave and I pulled out a, a painting. And uh, it's, it's a, there was an artist who, who, who painted this glass of urine with a picture of Jesus in it. Right, deeply offensive. Right, who's to say whether that's beautiful, true, wrong, or horrifying? If you're in the dark, how can you see? And part of what John's claim is, is that we love the darkness rather than the light because it's more comfortable. Nobody tells us we're wrong. Or you take Jordan, as we talked about, right? I was painfully arrogant and prone to fits of rage. You're on your own with your moral failures. You have to deal with regret by yourself. That's what's at stake as you start to wrestle with the claims of Jesus. Right? There's darkness. Who's going to deal with it? The light of all men shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the good news of the gospel that John is starting with, that we have a creator who loved us enough to step down into the darkness with us and fight it for us. But if you reject him, where are you going to turn? Now, that's the stakes here in verse 5. Who is this Jesus? Right? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Word? That's what I just want to take the next few minutes to look at. Right, the, the gospel writer here, John, in church history has typically been symbolized in Christian art as an eagle. Right? So you'll find pictures just displaying, talking about the four gospel writers, and, and John will be the eagle with like a halo behind the eagle. And then the what they, the historians think is because eagles soar to the heights. Uh, they actually have the ability to look into the sun and find healing in life. And so they, they're describing John as this person who is able to help us look into the bright, blinding beauty of the sun, Jesus Christ, and show us his majesty because he's soaring at unparalleled heights. And he starts by calling Jesus the Word. He's starting in the heavens. He is the Word of God. With God, He is God. All right, so when you, when you start this gospel, right, John is painstakingly precise to say the same thing over and over again. Right, in the beginning, anybody who's read the Bible knows that's page one of Genesis. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's who this Word, that's who this word was with. Uh, The Word was in the beginning with God at creation. 
And then it goes on to say, all things were made through him and nothing that exists that is made uh, without him. Right? You, you can't find anything made that did not have the word involved. Right? It's here is Jesus, the word of God, the creator, and everything else is made is over here in a completely different category, creation. You see that? And you keep going, right? In him, this word was life, and the life was the light of men. And it's actually alluding to a psalm, Psalm 36, which is using creation language to describe God's provision for every human being. And Psalm 36 says, For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. In other words, every good gift that you have comes from your creator, and your creator is the word who is with God, and who is the word? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who formed you in your mother's womb, who knows you, who thoughts of you number more than the grains of the sand, says Psalm 139. Right? See, John will not let you escape from that conclusion that Jesus is the one by whom all things are made. Genesis 1 is, is a Christian story. It's a Christ-centered story. Now, this has a whole bunch of implications, right? There's a couple ways to think about what it means for Jesus to be the Word, um, the Logos. We can talk about how, how John is try communicating Jesus as uh, the source of all things using a particular Greek term. Right? The logos in Greek philosophy was a philosophical term to, to answer the question, why are we here? It's the reason for everything. Right? What is the meaning of life? If you were to ask some of these ancient philosophers, they would say the logos. Right? And it's an important question. You, you don't li nobody lives without asking the question, why? That's what happens when you turn two. You don't stop asking why. <laughs> Right? If I say, come and meet me at the mall on Saturday at 8 a.m., what's one of the first questions you're going to ask? Right? Why? What for? Does the mall still exist anymore? <laughs> right? If someone says you must love your neighbor or forgive your enemy, you ask why? Why should I do such a thing? And so the answer for the Greek philosophers of what is your why, why do you exist, what are you here for, was this principle called the logos. And what's interesting is by the time you get to Jesus, they gave up on agreeing why we were here. What is that logos? They couldn't identify it, right? It's a principle, but we don't know what it is. They argued because that's what philosophers do. Right? And so there was one school of thought, the Epicureans, that, and they were the ones uh, that, that lived for pleasure. We don't know what we're here for, but let's enjoy life as much as we can right now. Sounds familiar. Make your own meaning and purpose. Uh, there are another school of thought, the Stoics, that said, we don't know why we're here, but we should be good. Let's make the darkness more tolerable by being as moral as we can. Right? The world becomes more dark if we're bad neighbors. And that sounds an awful lot like the way people today are trying to figure out their why. Right? We don't know why we're here, so have fun. Shine your own light. I'm not going to sing Katy Perry, but 
right? That's what she says, ignite the light, let it shine, just own the night like the 4th of July, you're a firework. <laughs> let your inner light shine. Um, modern Stoic Jordan Peterson. Uh, you know, it's questions on where he's at faith-wise, but that's basically what he does is, it just says, here are 12 rules for life. Here's how you can be a good citizen and not be a fool and waste your life. Take responsibility for yourself, make your bed. And he has 12 rules of saying it really articulately. Right? Now, John is saying, we know why you're here. Jesus is the Logos. Therefore, <laughs> run to the light. Right? We live as if we have to discover our, our why, as if it's something we have to pursue. And God, John's gospel is making the claim that your why came to earth for you. It's a person. He came down to us. Right? Why are you here? Jesus wanted you to be here. If you listen to Proverbs 8 really carefully, why are we here with because of God's wisdom, who is Jesus? And God's wisdom was daily with God, daily being delighted in, and rejoicing deeply, enjoying this inhabited world, the fact, and specifically it says the children of men. The Christian story is one where God enjoys you. Your origin is in joy, desire, delight, the word. Which leads to, to really what I think John is, is aiming at, is he's pulling Old Testament scriptures to communicate to, to us you know, who Jesus is. Because one of the things that John does brilliantly as a, a good student of the Old Testament scriptures is he recognizes that there are times when you read Genesis and it describes the word of the Lord as if it's a distinct person. And I grew up in church and, you know, John would say in the beginning was the word. It was one I, one I had to memorize and I was like, where did he get this category from? Well, Genesis 1, God spoke 10 times. And this beautiful, ordered world is created by God's word. Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, Yahweh, the heavens were made. So the psalmist looked at Genesis and said, the word did that. Uh, you get to Genesis 15. Here's, here's now a, the word of the Lord acting like a person. Because it says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Or in verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Abram and started speaking. Right? It's talking about the Lord, but calling him the word. And I'm going to get really technical here because this is, this is fascinating. Um, in the Aramaic Bible translations, hundreds of times, right? Aramaic, if you don't know what Aramaic is, it's the language that Jesus spoke. Hundreds of times, the God of Israel is described as the word, more than once. And in fact, the, the Aramaic Bible reads Genesis 15, 6 like this, Abram believed the word of the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. Our translations say Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him. See, they use that interchangeably. 
which is amazing. It's saying that God's word, Jesus, Abraham trusted Jesus, and that's how he was accounted as righteous, the word of God. I know I'm reading the story backwards. See, John read the Old Testament and saw the word as a person. And he's teaching you what Jesus taught him is that all of Scripture is about me. And so the word of God is me. That's amazing. Are you, you get to Proverbs 8 and it reads like there's this whole other person, wisdom, that's with God. John says that is the word with wisdom. We have uh, Aramaic translations of the Bible that read Genesis 1 like this. Listen, in the beginning, with wisdom, the word of the Lord created and finished the heavens and the earth. All John is doing is he's saying Jesus Christ is that person, the creator, the word by whom God made all things. So, why are you here? Jesus, he is the word. He created you. And it's telling you something about reality. I mean, it's a big claim, but part of the claim is that God has never been alone. He had God with God. You may not think about the Trinity that much, but part of what this is saying about Jesus is he has never known He's never not known withness. He's never been alone. Uh, he had never not known love. He had never not known delight, as we heard in Proverbs. And so what, part of the claim that John is making is that why are you here? What is ultimate reality like? It is withness. It is personal. That Jesus, the word of God, the word with God came down from heaven, and he's going to say in verse 14, he came down to be with us. That who God is is starting to overflow and recreate the world. And that in the beginning was relationship, and that relationship, the fountain of all life, overflowed to share his withness, his relationship, his cosmic love with human beings despite their darkness. Right. So why are you here? Because the triune God wanted you to be here. It was his delight to make you. As Psalm 139 is, his thoughts of you are more than the grain of the sand. That is Jesus. And his desire is to be with his church, with us. See, this is why it matters, because this is the only creation story that begins with joy, that begins with love, that begins with ultimate power serving those less than that power. <laughs> and John is taking all of us who dwell in deep darkness, who know gloom and anguish and regret, and he's taking us by the hand and saying, let's look at the sun. Let's look at the beauty of where we came from. He has a name. The word who, dwelt, who dwells with us. Now, if that's not true, what are your options? Right? 
your number just came up in the cosmic Monte Carlo game, like you just got lucky. Right? I mean, otherwise you're just lucky mud trapped in the vast darkness of the cosmos and chained to your own darkness, trying to be a firework without any source of light. No, what, what John is telling us is that the word, God's wisdom, Jesus Christ desired to be with us, so he created us, and it was God's plan for him to be created literally with us. He became human. Because God the Father sent his son to, bat, to come down into the darkness to fight it for us. See, here's what the gospel does. This will help us wind down. Now, the gospel tells us this true story that God, that we did not want to be with God, but God wants to be with us. You know, we chose to be the masters of our soul. We chose to embrace the darkness, to run away from the source of the light, to try and manufacture our own light, to plot our own good on our own terms. Um, and we look at, at the word of God and say, I can do better. And yet, while still in darkness, God the Father, together with God the Son, planned and executed our redemption to save us while still in darkness. How did they do that? We're jumping ahead to the end of John, but you know how this works. This is why witness is so important to us, because one of the most painful experiences you could ever have is to be no longer with those you love. Right. I mean, the, the two most painful experiences that human beings go through, divorce and death. Right. In divorce, witness dies, but you're still alive. In losing a loved one, witness is just gone. And so what John is going to show us is that Jesus, who was with God in order to be with us, loved us so much that he was able to able and willing to endure the darkness of hell on the cross, which is God saying, You're not, I'm not with you to a certain extent. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He jumped into the darkness as light shut the door in his face. That's the weight of what Jesus did to be with us, his creation, so that we, the darkness, might trust the light and see that he is for us. Now, the, the story of the gospel is we have the word for the joy set before him and for us in our salvation. Stepped down into darkness, endured that darkness, even to death on a cross, buried in the ground, literal darkness, to be raised from the dead so that you and I, if we put our trust in him, not only have our sins wiped away, but as John, we're going to talk about next week, right, he gives us the right to become the children of God. And that is a beautiful image of witness. You now have God the Father and Jesus, your older brother, and the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And they swear, I will never leave you nor forsake you, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, John's showing us we become God's temple. That's what the church is. I'm jumping ahead to verse 14, but the very light and glory of his presence comes down to dwell with us so that no matter what you go through, you're not alone. 
See, that's what happened with Jordan Monge, this hardened atheist. She saw her darkness and had nowhere to go, and so when she read this, the Gospel of John for the first time, when she got to the cross, she said, I just wept. Because the cross was no longer just a, an abstract symbol of love. It was the answer to my incurable need. She wept because she saw how Jesus met her in her darkness. So how do you answer that question? Who is Jesus? <laughs> he is divine. He is the word. The word of God by whom all things exist and for whom all things exist. <laughs> all right, and if we're going to take his testimony seriously, it's telling you, you and I, we cannot overcome the darkness on our own. What we're called to do is put faith in the light. All right. We're putting our faith in the one that darkness could not stop, his relentless love for the church. That is phenomenal news. So we asked, what's at stake? We've asked, who is the word? What should we be witnesses of? All right. We included two beautiful statements of faith in the, in the bulletin. I encourage you to read through them when you have some time. And these are old Old descriptions trying to summarize the truth of who Jesus is. I like the Belgic Confession because it refers to the Gospel of John. But one of the things we're witnesses of is Jesus' identity. He's divine. He's the God-man. He's fully God and fully human. He's our creator. And so when the Belgic Confession says, um, well, I'll just read the whole thing. We, we believe that Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, is the only begotten Son of God, begotten from eternity. Jesus is not made, nor created, for then he would be a creature. But coessential and co-eternal with the Father, the very image of his substance and the effulgence of his glory, equal unto him in all things. He is the Son of God, not only from the time that he assumed our nature, but from all eternity. As these testimonies, when compared together, teach us. And then he lists, lists the testimonies. Moses says that God created the world. St. John says that all things were made by that word which he calls God. The apostle says that God made the world by his Son. Likewise, that God created all things by Jesus Christ. Therefore, it must needs follow that he who is called God, the Word, the Son, and Jesus Christ, did exist at that time when all things were created by him. Therefore, the prophet Micah says, his goings forth are from of old, from everlasting, and the apostle. He has neither beginning of days nor end of life. He, therefore, is that true, eternal, and almighty God whom we invoke, worship, and serve. <laughs> Obviously, you should memorize that and use that as your witness. <laughs> or find simple ways to say, do you know what the Bible says about who Jesus is? We are witnesses of Jesus, who is the God of Genesis, the one by whom all things are made. Right? You know what that means? Put it, put it really simply. If you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus is not the kind of person that you sign up for him to be your personal assistant. You know, um, John is saying, look, Jesus is the son for whom you were created to revolve around. You've been trying your whole life to be the sun and make everyone else revolve around you. But if he is the word, how can you force the sun to, to be the center of your, to, 
to let you be the center of the universe. It just doesn't work that way. That's not reality. And so one of the things we're called to be witnesses of is the fact that Jesus is the center of my reality and I revolve around him and his word rules over me because his word is a person, Jesus. So does your life show any kind of semblance that Jesus is your creator, the one who has the right to tell you what to do? And then second, what else are you called to be witnesses of? Who Jesus is, that he is your creator. You get to be a, testi- a living testimony of the grace that, that the light has come down to dwell with us despite our darkness. And his, we can say, my darkness uh, is no match for his light. The, light. the darkness has not overcome the light. You know, I, I still sin. Part of our testimony is saying, Look at who our creator is. He's, he's, he comes full of grace and truth. God is with me. That's the cosmic joke. Not that we exist. <laughs> that he would come and be with someone like me. What an amazing gift. Right? And so as you seek to, to submit to Jesus the word as a Christian, we also submit to his grace. Right? We're not trying to show off how bright our light is. We're trying to show off how bright the light of Christ is by believing the gospel. So may that be true of us here at Hope Church. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for Jesus, this word who came down for us to be with us. And I I pray that for those who are investigating the truth of who Jesus is, uh, Lord, that you would reveal yourself. You would shine the light of your glory in their hearts and, and make Jesus known. For us who know you, Lord, and call you, call you our God, Lord, equip us to be faithful witnesses in our homes, to those around us, and to our neighbors. So above all, Lord, we say thank you for bringing us into your family, that we might call you Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's... Stand and sing our last hymn, Up From the Grave He Rose.